All right. Let's see here. Okay. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to the firehouse. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just open things up here with prayer, and then we're going to take a look this morning at the some things from the life of Noah. We're going to look at Noah's story here and see how we can leverage some things from his life and from his faith to strengthen and encourage ours here. So, if we will, let's just bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for bringing us together here this morning. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to, to worship you and to experience fellowship together with the other believers. And God, I just pray that you would use this time to bless and strengthen our faith. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to each one of us this morning. Just use these uh, verses that we'll look at to speak and to change and transform our lives, Lord, this morning. We just ask for this uh, because you're gracious, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, this morning we are going to look at some things, again, from, uh, from the life of Noah here. And last week we looked at Abraham and some of his faith and why he's considered the father of our faith. But there's some things related to Noah that are um, also significant as it relates to our New Testament faith as well here. And for me, I think Noah is a, it's a, a special, has a special place in my heart, this story. Um, we, uh, for one, when we went to Hong Kong, we taught English classes there, but we used the Bible to do that. And it just so happened that the text that we used to teach uh, the English, one of the first ones was the story of Noah. So we were able to just to communicate the story of Noah and un, you know, also communicate God's love that's shown to us through Jesus. And, but it was an awesome reminder to me that uh, there's some things that God's really impacted my life related to the story of Noah. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, other thing that was cool is that in Hong Kong, oh, there happens to be that one, this little darker photo there, but the, there happens to be um, a life-size scale of scale model of Noah's Ark, you know, and uh, that was that was a surprise to me. You know, we we thought all of China just needs to hear the gospel; they don't know anything about. It. But Hong Kong actually has a lot of Christian influence there. They have Christian bookstores. They have well, they have Noah's Ark there. You know, you thought it landed in the mountains. It actually landed in the bay there, right by Hong Kong. So, uh, no, just joking. It's, uh, it's a, a life-size model, but I think it's made out of, uh, I want to say it's made out of concrete or something like that. Probably wouldn't float as well as the original one. So, um, but anyways, there's some pictures of us there. I think that's, uh, uh, let's see, that was me with my rain, my hoodie thingy on there. This was Yahoo, who was a student that came to Christ while we were there in Hong Kong. I think Megan's around here. Some of the other guys that are, Alan and them are wandering around here somewhere. I think Alan was trying to climb the side of the ark there. It was, it was closed the day that we went. It was like the one day in the month that it was closed was the day we went. So we didn't understand what was up with that. Um, here's another uh, picture of it as well. There's some, uh, some actual giraffes that were on the ark there that they keep around just for show. Um, but no, those were, uh, I think they have a bunch of, we didn't get to get much closer. We were taking this from a distance, but they had some giraffes, they had some elephants right here, just kind of giving a little bit of scale to the rest of the ark. They have this giant bridge of a highway above it there. But anyways, it was really neat to, to get to see that. And um, But... I also was reading some things related to Noah as we were in Hong Kong, and I thought they might be uh, encouraging to your faith as they were to mine. So if you would, we're going to start just reading an account of 
Noah's life or the story of Noah and the ark, we're just going to read a, a small segment of it, but it's, in, um, it's on page 6 of your house Bibles, if you have one. Just go ahead and pull that out. We can read this together here. It's chapter 6 of Genesis and page 6 here. And we are going to start at verse 9 here. Some of you might know the story of Noah. Some of you might not. We had a great time acting it out in our English class. We tried to just make a few little skit sort of things uh, spontaneously happen. And by God's grace, uh, they thought they thought that it was pretty fun and funny and stuff like that. Um, but we're going to read just chap- chapter 6, verse 9 to the end of the chapter here, just to kind of set the stage of what was going on in Noah's day and age and kind of the context for his faith. Uh, so it starts with this. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of, every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So that was kind of the, the stage of uh, Noah's story there. There's a, a place in the New Testament as we were looking at some, some accounts of faith like Abraham last week. There's a, a little section devoted to Noah there and it says this. It was... Uh, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So this morning we're going to look at just four lessons from the the life of Noah here that I think we could all learn from today and apply to our lives um, in a modern way here. Um, But I'd like to start by just imagining... Imagine yourself being Noah. Imagine God is talking to you. You're Noah or uh, Noah, Noah Dia, Noah S, Noah, whatever the female Noah name would be. I think there's female Noahs too in the Bible. Um, But imagine God's talking to you saying, hey look, I'm going to judge this planet. It's so full of sin. I'm going to judge it, but I'm going to save you and those of your family who come with you. And here's, here's the way it's going to work. You make this big, gigantic monster of an ark, of a boat, and when it's time, you're going to load up and I'm going to bring some animals to you, and that's how you're going to be, be saved, okay? 
what would you say to God if he, he said that to you? You know, um, maybe today, but what if he said something just like that today? I think it would, uh, I would be like, are you serious, God? Come on, there's got to be a better way here. Um, but this is what God wanted Noah to do. He said, hey, I'm bringing a judgment on this world because of the sin of man. And I want to save you and your family or anyone who will actually believe you and join you in this. And so he set out to do this uh, ginormous, I don't think that's the word, gigantic task. I know ginormous is in a movie or something here recently. Um, but he set out to do this. And you know, it seems like if you look at when he was commissioned to do this, when he had his sons and when it was done, it took somewhere in, in upwards of 100 years for him to accomplish this. And can you just imagine the, the work that went into it, the, the lumber, the, um, you know, he, I'm sure they were just, he was cutting trees, and I imagine they used some form of nails or spikes and hammers, and one by one just putting these logs together to build this, and then to coat it inside and out with pitch, you know, which I'm assuming this is some tarry substance to make the whole thing kind of waterproof, make it buoyant for the amount of time that it needed to be. And, and he did this for years, and... I, I can't even imagine how many pieces of wood and how much, uh, um, how many nails and how, how much blood, sweat, and tears Noah poured into this. Again, if you try to imagine just the enormity of the, the ship, it was um, 450 feet long. You know, lengthwise it was a football field and a half long. Um, Heightwise it was 45 feet. If you like meters better, 13.5 meters. Um, it was just gigantic, you know. I was just trying to imagine um, how many of you have ever been on a 10-meter platform before? Anyone ever do like fancy diving like I do off those things? Uh, I, I remember we were just once in Salt Lake City just visiting uh, Josh and Chris out there. We went to the pool and they had a 10-meter platform that you could get on. And I went up there and I'm looking and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then I jumped and I'm screaming as I just land in the water, you know. And but 13.5 meters is 10 feet higher than what scared the heck out of me. You know, that's how giant this thing was. They said just on volume, you would be able to fit 800 railroad carts inside the ark. 800 full-size railroad carts could fit inside the ark. Just the volume. It's such an enormous task. And this is what Noah worked on. And this is what he did to be saved. You know, it's kind of like... You better make the boat pretty well if you're going to be in it and you don't want it to sink. I imagine he was pretty fervent in his work and um, just took a lot of effort. But, you know, um, that was kind of the deal that God arranged for saving Noah from, from sin. He said, I'm going to punish the sin of mankind and here's how you're going to be saved. And, but the cool thing is that God, he, he said, you know, I'm going to judge sin again. And he told Noah, it'll never happen again by a flood of water, but the Bible's clear the next judgment will be uh, through flames. A flood of flames will be the next judgment, and it will be an eternal judgment. It'll be God punishing anyone who sinned against their eternal maker. And, but God has said, here's the way you can be saved from the judgment that is coming. And it's, through, um, it's not through building an ark. And I thank God it's not through building an ark. I don't know if I would have been able to have the perseverance that Noah had there. But today, in order to be saved from our sins, we must simply believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. You know, in some ways, uh, the ark is an Old Testament picture of Christ, of what would be accomplished through the coming Christ. And in a lot of ways, he is a picture of the ark. The ark saved Noah and his families, but the Christ is to save us and everyone who would believe. And 
I just thought it'd be, uh, I thought it was interesting. I was trying to compare a little bit of the work that Noah did as compared to the work that Jesus has done for our, our ship, if you will. You know, the boat that's going to keep us afloat in the final judgment is going to be Christ, you know. And, and here's some of the things, you know, Noah used uh, a ton of logs or wood or something, but you know, Jesus did all of his work with two pieces of wood. And you know, Noah had so many nails, probably a countless number of nails, and Jesus likely used three nails. One in each hand, one in his feet. Um, and the hammer that was used to do the work of uh, uh, the ark was Noah's, and maybe some of his family was helping out, but the hammer that was used on the work that Jesus did was not even, he didn't even do that. It was reality. As you know, I love how it's represented in the Passion of the Christ, how Mel Gibson, when they were nailing Jesus to the cross in the movie, Mel Gibson had a cameo role, and it was his hand that were nailing Jesus to the cross which represents you and I. The reason He went to the cross was because of you and I to pay our sins. Had we not sinned, He would not have had to be nailed to that cross. Um, and let's talk about blood, sweat, and tears. You know, Jesus had times before you and I where he, he sweat blood. And He didn't just give a little bit of His blood. He poured out everything that He had for you and I. Um, another thing I think about is just how... Noah was building this ark to save himself. You know, if God said, this is the way you're going to be saved, you kind of have a vested interest in getting it done. You know, if I don't do this right, I die, I perish. But you know, Jesus did all of this work, not for himself, he did it for you and for I, you and I. Um, And then lastly, you know, he offers all of the work that he did, he offers it to us freely as a gift. So if you just simply believe in my work accomplished on the cross, you believe in me, you will be saved. Offers it to us as a gracious, free, loving gift. I just, I can't even believe how much of a better deal we got than Noah got, you know. And, and I think it's just good to, to reflect on that. And we just want to make sure, you know, one of the things that, the idea of being saved, in some ways it's being saved from the, the punishment that we've earned. Another way to say it is maybe you're saved if you are right with God. If you're not right with God, God must punish you and I for, for the things that we've done against Him until it's made right. Unfortunately, when you sin against your eternal Creator, it takes forever to pay for that. and kind of hard to have a loving relationship in the meantime. But Jesus did everything it took to get right with God for us. He did everything that was needed. And you know what? When I heard this, uh, you know, the Noah's Ark was shared about 14 years ago, 14 and a half years ago. I was going to church in Fort Collins. Uh, they were meeting in a Holiday Inn ballroom. John Meyer was sharing a message on Noah and how to have a watertight faith. And for, for me, I'd heard the gospel a few times. God was working on my heart. I had gotten my heart crushed from a relationship, you know, in that time frame. And, but this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. John Meyer was talking about how this idea here that by his faith... God credited Noah with righteousness. And by our faith in Jesus, we get credited as right with God. And he was asking everyone, he just said, you know, do you have a watertight faith? Are you trying to make a ship that's got part of Christianity and part of your good works and part of just this homemade boat that's not going to sink? I mean, it's not going to float with God. And I just felt like he was talking to me. You know, he just talked about really before God, you're either going to appear righteous on God's terms God's terms, or you're going to appear self-righteous on whatever terms you've come up with. Maybe you think your religion is going to save you. Maybe you think your philosophy, where I don't believe in God, I don't believe in right and wrong. Whatever it is, you'll either be found righteous through Christ, or you'll be found standing self-righteous before God 
and that boat is not going to float with God. And I realized he was talking to me. I had a, a self-righteous face. I was trying to figure it out, but I was, if anyone asked, God were to ask me, why should I let you into heaven, Rich? I would have told him, because I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. Uh, you know, I'm not whatever. I'm not like Hitler. Um, and, and that would have been, and that on top of that, Jesus died for the sins of the world. But I realized my boat was just kind of pieced together with bits and pieces of my own thinking, my own things I liked from the Bible, and it was not going to float with God. And after hearing about, you know, the idea that I was basically just being self-righteous before God, that I went home and I was just crushed. And, and I broke down in tears in my apartment back in Fort Collins there, and I just cried out to God and said, God, I am a sinner. I do deserve this judgment and eternal judgment, but I believe Jesus died for me. And I, want him, and I asked him to come into my heart as, as my Lord and Savior. And 14 and a half years ago, but this was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just want to ask you, you know, if you were to appear before God today, he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? Would it be some combination of, of the cool boat you're making? Would it be something, some philosophy that doesn't include God or heaven and hell? Or would it be trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross alone? And I hope that's your answer. You know, I imagine at the time when the flood started and the, the rain started coming down and maybe uh, there started to be enough water for the ark to get off the ground, I imagine there were a few people that were like, oh my gosh, it's true, it's really happening. And I bet they started climbing on things that they thought would float. I bet they started getting, maybe they had a boat hanging out in the garage. Maybe there was a piece of wood floating by and they thought, I'm going to grab onto this and hope that it will keep me afloat. And eventually, after the rain kept coming, after the flood kept happening, everything that anyone was leaning on besides that ark, uh, they drowned. Everything sank. And I just want to make sure that you have a watertight faith, that you're trusting something that will never sink. The only thing that's going to float with God in the final judgment will be Jesus. And are you on board that ship? My hope is that you are and that you're right with God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And I just encourage you to think about that, and, and I hope you would think honestly and seriously about maybe even today, making it this the day that you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone to, to save you. Um, next thing I want to talk about related to Noah, just something we can learn from Noah is, um, let's see here. Oops, I'm going to skip this point and come back to it. There we go. Um, so after the flood has happened... Um, Noah and his family and those on the ark, the animals on the ark, they all survive. And eventually the water recedes and they land on dry ground right there in Hong Kong. Um, right there, it's believed, you know, some mountains maybe in uh, near Turkey is where there's, there's been different archaeological findings where they believe they found parts of of uh, the ark but there's been trouble related to government authorities and related to glacier activity in those mountains and things but they're supposed to be on display in uh, Hong Kong a piece of the ark that they believe is an authentic piece of the real ark um, but imagine they're, they're landing they're coming down uh, God opens up the door I don't even I, I can't even picture how that would happen God's the one that shut the door on the ark you know and God's the one that opened it and um, and so Noah's coming out and his family and all the animals and I don't know, was it a stampede or, you know, was there like some sort of traffic blowing whistles and people coming off the ark? I don't know exactly how it would have looked, but um, what would have been your first tendency to do after getting off the boat that you've been on for almost a year? What would have, what have been the first thing that you would have done after such an uh, um, unbelievable event like that? 
You know, would you have, I would have been tempted maybe to go climb a little mountain nearby there and go, oh my gosh, that is a mess. I can't believe we survived this. Or, you know, it would have been, uh, we're off the boat now, maybe I should start building a house for my family. We're going to be here and we might as well dig in, build a house. I don't know what your tendency would have been, but I think we can learn a lot from what Noah did. This is what Noah's reported. The first thing he did here, it says, um, So Noah came out together with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. You know, the first thing Noah did after being saved from the judgment of sin was he, he offered a thank offering to God. He worshiped God with a thank offering. You know, nowhere in here does it say, Hey, Noah, by the way, bring some extra animals. And when you're done, you, you probably ought to worship me because I saved you from this you know, disaster. Maybe you should worship me. This is what Noah did on his own. He got off, he was saved, and the first thing he did is when he stepped foot off the, the ark is to worship God. And... You know, I think that's something that we could obviously learn from as well. You know, sometimes people come to a place where they come to believe in Jesus as their Savior and they, they, they like the concept of forgiveness for all their sins. And, um, but the next response after that really is, is one of, should be one of, of, of thank offering to God. Not that we could ever repay God for, you know, it's just really to think we've been forgiven an eternal punishment, an infinite uh, measure. And somehow we think with maybe 70 years we'll take off that. That's just silly. Um, we don't even make a dent in it. But it is a fitting response. It may be, maybe it would never pay it back. It sure is a, a fitting response. And there's a place here in the Romans. If you guys would turn to me, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And some of you might know this verse, but it's a kind of a New Testament response to the gracious work that Jesus has done for us. His love and his mercy that for our sins, he was punished so that we would not have to be. And, and then not only was he punished, he exchanged his righteousness with us. He gave it to us and took our sin and took the full consequence for us. But here, and here's what the Apostle Paul says is a fitting response to such amazing love and, and sacrifice. And it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. goes on to say, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But the New Testament teaches us, you know, a fitting response for us who have been saved um, from the judgment that we were due, a fitting response is to offer your life back to God as a thank offering as an ongoing, a lifelong thank offering, an act of worship to God. And, you know, in, in some ways, I, I, I don't know where you are at this. Sometimes, I, I, in my observation, I see people who maybe come to Christ, maybe sometimes at a younger age, and they understand faith in Jesus as their Savior, and they genuinely get saved. But often, you know, if it's at a very young age, there can be a disconnect with you know what a fitting response is to that is I'm going to give God my whole life every aspect of it I now offer to Him to use in any way that He wants and sometimes there's a, a difference from when someone might get saved to when they turn around and offer their life back. sometimes people they never realize that that is a fitting response maybe when they're a teenager or an adult they finally go oh yeah I should probably do that 
You know, for me it was a little bit different because I was going on 25 years old when I became a Christian. And in that time period, I told many people I was a Christian. I masqueraded as a Christian. I could talk Christianese, you know. I could talk some Bible things and some religious words. And um, But in my heart, I knew that I had never placed my trust in Jesus Christ alone. And when I finally did... Uh, to me, it seemed real natural to go, oh my gosh, all that sin, all the junk that I've been forgiven for, why wouldn't I offer my life to God? Not only that, it's, it's a fitting thing to do. The scriptures say we should, but it, to me, it was a natural response. And, but I just want to ask you, have you ever offered your life to God? Have you given your life to Christ as a thank offering? And I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about going to your Savior. Here's my life. I know it can't repay anything, but it's all I've got, and I give it to you, everything that I've got. Have you given your life to Christ? Because if you haven't, you really should. Using Paul's word, I would urge you to give your life as a living sacrifice. And maybe at some point in your life you have. Say, God, my life is yours. Thank you for saving me. But maybe... uh, as a living sacrifice, you've crawled off the offer and got on with your own life again. And you, or maybe you've grown some attitudes that are easy to have as a Christian. God, I give you my life as long as you make my dreams come true, as long as you give me the person I want to marry, give me the perfect job. My life is yours to do with whatever you want as long as it fits into my plans. Maybe you've given God conditions for your living sacrifice, your thank offering. Then maybe it's time to come back to the basics and say, God, again, my life is yours. Use me in whatever way you want in your kingdom and, you know, just surrender it to Him again. And the other thing to think about is, you know, the blood of Christ, it has a cleansing effect on it. It makes us right with God. Um, but the other thing that Christ's blood did, you might know that it purchased us. It not only just made us forgiven, we have been bought. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, guess what? You've been bought. You've been purchased. Your life is no longer yours. But the problem is, even though we, uh, we have been bought and paid for, we're kind of uh, maybe a little slow on our end of the, the deal, our end of the delivery. You know, it'd be kind of like some, imagine some store you go to today, you go shopping and you buy, you know, something that you've really been wanting. Maybe it's some piece of jewelry or maybe it's some, you know, TV or whatever's on your heart. You go and you buy it and the store says, thanks for paying for that. And you know what? We're going to give this to you someday when we get around to it. We'll surely give it to you. You know, sometimes we're like that with Christ. He has bought and purchased every aspect of our life, and and occasionally we actually give it to Him, uh, and it belongs to Him. And I just want to urge you you all to give your life to Christ if you haven't. If you've gotten that free gift, maybe it's time to give Him a thank offering. And maybe if you've done that before, time to do that again and, and call off all the contingencies, all the terms you might have placed on God for giving your life to Him and just realize... He deserves everything and it wouldn't make a dent in what we owe Him. But I, but I encourage everyone here to give your life to, to Christ if you haven't and if you have, do it again. Um, go back to this last point here. Another thing, uh, the New Testament reveals something to us about Noah. There's only a few places in the New Testament where Noah is mentioned, but here's one here that, that Peter wrote about. And it says this, um, in Peter, he's writing about how God could save people from different judgments that happened, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot or Noah and the flood. But it says, He um, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. There's not a lot of detail. It doesn't really expand it. But you get the sense that when Noah was building the ark, he wasn't just 
on uh, some sort of construction project. He's there, he's doing his things, he's got his logs, he's got his nails, he's got his tar he's painting with. Um, you get a sense that, as you read the, the scriptures in the New Testament about no, you get a sense that people came to check out the spectacle. Here's this guy who's building a gigantic boat. Many scholars believe that um, a few things. One, that he was building in a sort of landlocked sort of place. Uh, Another, that there had never been a flood on the planet up to that point. And others would say that rain, in the composition of the atmosphere at the time, rain would have been highly uncommon as we know it, much less flooding. So here's this guy. He's building a monstrosity of a boat. And people are like, you know, what do you want to do today? I don't know, let's go check out that guy who's building the big boat in the desert. You know, that'll be fun. Let's bring the whole family to, to go check out Noah Day. And you go there, and, and what do you think they did? You know, they probably pointed out, oh, there he is. He's, he's hammering up there. and um, Oh, he's painted with that stuff. I wonder why he's doing that. And people probably came and saw him, and they probably mocked him. They probably made fun of him. We know that they didn't buy what he was selling here, because, or, or they would have been on the boat with him. But they were probably mocking him. We, uh, at our English camp, you know, we just tried to have one volunteer be Noah. And the rest of the camp just did, you know, throwing things at him and yelling at him and all sorts of things. But they were probably doing something like that. As a matter of fact, Noah probably had a, a captive audience to preach to. And my guess is that in between hammering some logs and doing some of his work, he stopped and saw, here's a, here's a crowd of people out there laughing at me, mocking me. I should probably warn them about what's, what's happening. I should probably tell them why I'm doing this. I should probably tell them about the coming judgment and tell them they need to get right with God. You know, and, um, and obviously they didn't respond to it, but Noah was known as a preacher of righteousness. This is what the eternal scriptures have recorded Noah as, a preacher of righteousness. He was telling people how to get right with God. And you know, you and I have been given a similar task. We've been told to help people get right with God. And again, it's not through getting on the boat. I think that would be a tough sale, man. I'm glad Noah did it, but we've we've got a better deal. And it's really just telling people about Christ and how He has paid the price that we deserve and how we can be saved and we can get right with God through our faith in Him. But that's the same assignment we've been given. Um, One of the verses that I think of, two verses I think I've put up there. um, One is 2 Corinthians 5, and you might know this one. It's 5.20 and 21. But it says this, this, if you follow Christ, if you've been saved, if you're his disciple, here's something you and I should be doing here. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Basically, we've been given the assignment, the responsibility, the ministry of helping people get right with God. You know, and I I think, um, you know, as a church, that's something we really try to do. We know we're on a mission to get the gospel out, to reach the world with Christ. And sometimes, you know, I think it's easy to go, uh, I've heard that before. We've got to share Christ, you know. Can't we find some other new subject in the Bible to talk about? But the reality is we've been given an assignment to warn people about the coming judgment until the very last day, until it actually happened. Noah was warning them until the day he was shut in the ark and the rain began to fall. We've got that same assignment. We we better not get tired of it. You know, in uh, Mark 16, 15, again, Jesus said to all his followers, hey, go into the world and preach this good news to all creation. 
We've got getting right with God is a good news thing. Jesus did all the hard work. All we've got to do is place our trust in Him. And it's great news. It's awesome news. But we want to make sure we're following in the example of Noah here that we are preachers of righteousness. You know, in some ways I think we have a similar task. And imagine him trying to explain to people, it's going to rain. I know you don't really know. You probably don't understand the full concept of rain. And there's going to be a huge flood. And you probably have no clue what a flood is. But God said it's going to happen and I believe it and I'm getting ready for it. You know, in some ways we're trying to explain to people in this day and age about sin. You know, there's people that are probably, that, that just sometimes are like, I don't get it. You know, you're making up these rules and yada yada and God's going to punish sin. I don't buy it. Just like they didn't buy a flood. And many times we can get mocked for our faith and, and being very serious about our God-given mission. Just like Noah got mocked. But my hope is that when Christ returns, when we find ourselves reporting to Him, that we will be looked back on as someone who is a preacher of righteousness. Someone who is trying to help people get right with God. Last thing we're going to look at here. There we go, right here. You know, sometimes people can say, oh, the accounts of Noah is just this story. It's kind of just this mythical thing in the Bible. But you know what? Jesus actually cited Noah and the flood and the story there. And he, he thought it credible so much as that he, he gave us a warning related to it. Jesus said this at one point. He said, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. You know, what do you think of when he says, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah? What does that mean to you? I can first think of the days of Noah, people were wicked to the core. They did evil all the time. It says the desire of their heart was only evil all the time. And I can go, okay, when we get so wicked and evil, watch out because we're getting close. But what was the point Jesus made? He didn't make that point at all. He said this, as it was in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, the warning Jesus said is, hey, it's not going to be so wicked to the core that there's only going to be eight righteous people left on the planet. He's saying it's going to be the case that the world has been warned and they do not care. They're going on with life as normal. They're, they're marrying, they're given in marriage, they're eating, they're drinking, they're carrying on business as normal, and then all of a sudden, boom, it starts. You know, what do you imagine those people felt when the first raindrops started to fall? Or when the, it says the, the springs, the wells uh, within the earth burst forth? What do you think those people started to think? I bet they started to think, oh shoot, it's happening. Oh my God, it's really happening. You know, I even wonder if people did not head to the ark and go, Noah, Noah, now I believe. And people were, I, I, I would not doubt people were pounding on the ark. Noah, let me in. I believe now. Come on. But you know, God's arrangement, God's deal was, you'll be saved by faith. Once the rain starts happening, the flood starts happening, it's not a faith deal anymore. It's reality. The same is going to be true when the Christ returns for judgment. When he gets there, people are going to say, now I believe. And he's going to say, now the deal is done. There's no more faith here. You, you see it for what it is. You see the glorious angel and the, the coming of the judge, the righteous judge, Jesus himself. It'll be too late. And men and women, we've got to... We've got to be warning people. We've got to be ready. You know, the point really I want to make on this is we must be ready for the coming judgment. Noah was working hard. He was preaching righteousness. When God said, get on the ship, he was there. And then it happened. 
he was ready. Many people were not. Many people got caught by surprise. I think if, the, if somehow the, the end was to come now, if Christ snatched the church out of here and the judgment began on the planet, there would be many people, many Christians, many of us, would be, oh my gosh, uh, my, my, doc, my anti-doctrine doesn't include what's happening now. You know, there's got to be some more things happen. I think we would be caught by surprise. I think we are well qualified for this to happen to us. Much less those who have not responded to the warning yet. We've got to be warning people. But that's, um, you know, the point I just want to make is just, are, are you ready? As a Christian, are you ready? Recently, if you've been doing the one-year Bible, you came across this passage in Romans chapter 13. Um, it stood out to me as well, kind of along the same idea. Romans 13, verse 11. It says this. It doesn't explain it so much in, in, uh, in light of a flood. It explains, explains it it's again about the time period, about how soon this happened. It says this. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. He's saying, Christians, stop sleepwalking. It's really happening soon. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day, that is the judgment day, is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But the warning there is to us all that that the night is almost over. This darkness in which we live is almost over and Christ is going to return and there will be the day of judgment. And, um, you know, one of the things we have, I think, to our advantage here in this day and age is that we live in darkness. It's a dark world and it's the one place, in my understanding, in all of human existence, it's the one place our light can shine in contrast to the darkness. It's the one place you can make choices that directly contrast selfishness in this broken world. When you get to heaven... None of what's going to happen there is going to be set against the darkness of anything. It's going to be glorious. There will be no sin, no pain, no suffering. This is the one place you and I can make choices to shine in a dark world. And we need to be found shining when Christ returns. You know, I want to ask you, are you, are you living? Are you ready for His return? Or are you living compromised? Are you living compromised in a relationship? Are you living compromised in convictions that would please God that, that you don't want to live out? Or are you ready for his return? And I just want to close with those of you that maybe are trying to figure out, should I get ready with Christ or not? Sometimes younger people, even found in Hong Kong, there's a bunch of teenagers we were talking to, they, they can have this attitude and some even express the idea to me like, hey, when I get as old as you, I'll, I'll probably turn to Jesus too, you know? When I've experienced a little bit more of life, when I've tasted what this world has to offer, maybe then I'll turn to you. But, you know, I'm reminded of a... A story of a, a young man that, uh, you know, is one of Morgan's cousins and Mandy's cousin as well here. That uh, he was uh, a week or two away from becoming 16 years old. He was walking across the street from Metro Community College in Omaha, walking across the street to lunch for Burger King. On the way, there was a, a big semi truck that was kind of trying to make a turn, and so he went behind the truck to try to cross the road. And he didn't see a car coming, and the oncoming truck and flew in the air and struck the ground. Several days later, Jordan died. I don't think Jordan was planning on coming before his maker before the age of 16. 
you know what? Jordan was ready to meet his maker. Jordan had gotten right with God because he had placed his trust in Jesus Christ to save him. And my question for each one of you is, are you ready? Jesus promises it's going to catch people by surprise, whether it's his return or whether it's when we come before him. Are you ready? Are you right with God? Are you on board with Jesus Christ? I urge you to get right with Him soon if you have not. Maybe today would be the day. Maybe as you reflect on these truths, it might be like my story that I went home and finally this idea of hearing self-righteous before God, I knew it wasn't going to float with Him. And I broke down and finally placed my trust in Christ, asked Him to come into my heart as Lord and Savior. I've been trying to live for Him ever since. Maybe this is the day for you. But let's go ahead and just close this prayer here. Lord Jesus, we, we do thank you for the example of faith that you've given us in Noah. We thank you. I thank you, Lord, that he obeyed you. I wonder if I would have stuck to it like him, but I thank you that he did. I thank you that he gave us an example of how to get credited as righteous through faith. Lord, I thank you that you've given us such an amazingly better deal, that you did the hard work, that you poured out your blood, that you did the, the work on the cross. You took the nails for us. Lord, I thank you that you paid for my sin and for everyone who believes in you. Lord, I pray that you would help some here today maybe to, to make that decision to surrender to you, to get right with God on your terms and not on their own terms. Lord God, I pray today that maybe there's some believers in here who've been saved but they've never given you their life as a thank offering. Lord, I pray that people would maybe make that step today. Lord, help, help me and everyone here who's made that decision before. Help us be uh, real today. Lord, help us to drop any of our terms we have for you, God. Help us just to offer ourselves to, to do whatever you want to do through us for your glory. We just pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. and. Uh, Cool. We'll catch you at the next meeting Wednesday night here, and then Greg Miller is going to be sharing um, next Sunday morning as well. So hope to see you there. Thanks.